I think if God gives us something, we should use it. And it's easy for us to look out and think we need we need more. We need more people. We need more talented people. We need more resources. We need more money. We need more. Well, let's look at what we've got. What have you got in your hand? Let's use that. Welcome, everyone. This past weekend, my wife and I were blessed to be with the church in Alice Springs. Now, Alice Springs is a town of about 25,000 people located in the center of Australia. If you don't know where that is, check it out on a map. It's wild. It's a very interesting place. We had a wonderful time at their March Forward Conference, which is hosted by Lighthouse Church and Pastor Nathaniel Gratian. People travel in from all of the surrounding indigenous communities for this event, and it was a privilege to worship with them. This coming Sunday is our first preview service for the campus church that we are planting on the Central Coast, New South Wales, so please keep that in your prayers. We're very excited and we're looking forward to what God is going to do on Sunday. Today we are joined by David Kent. He is the Secretary Treasurer of the UPCA, the United Pentecostal Church of Australia, which is an elected position, and he's also the Assistant Pastor of Calvary Chapel in Canberra. In our conversation, we talked about how he came to the Lord, his advice to young leaders, what churches get wrong about church administration, why administration is so important to the health of a church, and much more. As you're currently listening, you're probably not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and not miss an episode. To follow us on Apple Podcasts, look to the top right for the plus sign. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube to check out our video content. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Ken. That's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, it was uh, great to see you at our yearly national conference. It's always a, a very busy time for you. <laughs> you you not only are uh, the Secretary Treasurer of the UPCA, but then you're, you've been the uh, conference coordinator, right, for the national conference for almost a well, day. Well, just seems to, to landed in Canberra. And, <laughs> um, it's it's actually quite a um, demanding um, task for the local church. Not not so much for for me, but for the mm. all the all the volunteers and all the work. So we won't be sorry to that. It's we'll eventually move somewhere else. <laughs> but we do like. Don't get me wrong. We do like having it here, and it is a, a wonderful venue. And and it was great to have it again after three years of not having it. Yeah, it I think was. we saw that in the attendance record registrations. It was a it was an excellent conference. I was really happy with it. Yeah, it, it truly was, and it was great seeing everyone after all that time. You know, we had some national events, but they were youth based or yeah. you know uh, ladies based or whatever. This was the first time everyone was able to get together after you know that long break, and it, it was really really cool. And and Canberra is just a great location. I mean, I know well, people. I like it. Yeah, well, I know people don't get up for traveling to Canberra, but uh, from my perspective, it's so easy to get around. And uh, my wife and I, we discovered the scooters this year, so we really enjoyed. Yeah, so did a lot of the youth. I remember <laughs> when I was walking around the city, nearly got run over by some of the youth. <laughs> Yeah. So we really enjoyed that aspect. So we'll be disappointed if it ever comes to Sydney where it's banned <laughs> and then we have to do more work. But, uh, well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, I like to start off these conversations by getting to know the guest a little bit, just for those who may not know you. So yep. if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background, where you come from, uh, your worldview, that sort of thing. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm a, a rare breed. In, of my generation, I was actually born and bred in Canberra, which is unusual for people of my vintage. Um, most Canberra really only, only started to grow as a city in like the 1970s, 60s mm -hmm. and 70s. Before that, it was quite small. My parents were what they called 10 pound poms, um, where they used to, that because after the Second World War, they were worried about Australia's not being very populated. Mm -hmm. And we had, you know, the threat of invasion, they thought, from the north. So they wanted to populate, and of course, they wanted Europeans So at that time. So they, to if you would agree to immigrate from England, you could bring your whole family for 10 pounds. Oh, wow. And then they would put you up um, when you got here. You'd have a job to go to, 
which you had to do for two years, and then that was it. You're free from your debt at that time. And I think I think Brother Bill Morris also was a ten pound pom. I could be wrong though. He wouldn't like being called a pom since he's Scottish. <laughs> but my parents and my sisters emigrated here in um, nineteen. 53, I think it was, 1953. Mm. Um, and my dad applied to go to Victoria and they sent him to Canberra. Oh. And he worked on, a, he worked on a dairy farm here. And then um, when he, after his two years of working on a dairy farm, he joined the ACT police. And he was one of the, his badge number was number 97. So he was one of the first 100 policemen in Canberra. Oh, wow. And, um, then my brothers and I were born here. Um, yeah. So, and then um, my wife is also born. She's she's a similar vintage to me, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, she's also born and bred here, which is unusual. When when yeah. was because uh, Canberra is like a created city? There was, uh, yeah. it, I might be making this up, but I feel like there was a bit of a tussle between Sydney and Melbourne, and then they decided to. No, that's is true. that not that's, true, or is it true? That's, that's true. Yeah, that's mm. that's quite a common. Um, it's common knowledge. If you go to the, the National Library, they have a lot of stuff on it. Um, Melbourne, the first when Canberra became a nation on the first of January nineteen oh one, the original Parliament was in Melbourne, um, but they um, decided they there was too much um, um, dispute between Sydney and Melbourne over who where the capital was going to be, and so they um, decided that they had built a new one, and they and they sent out a search party to look at different places. One of the places. Um, they looked at was Port Macquarie, and I'm really upset oh. that they didn't actually choose Port, <laughs> Port Macquarie. My my cousin lives there, lovely yeah. place. Yeah, but they decided nice. that um, they need to be a cold climate because people think better in a cold climate. Apparently, mm. that's the that's the reality. That's what the reason. And they also had to be far enough from the ocean that it couldn't be shelled from a boat huh. ship, which is how they chose the limestone plains here in Canberra. And um, it was built 19. 19- 1926 it was named i think yeah and um then they moved or it was still just a small town on either side of the river when i was growing up but then in the in the 60s um um the prime minister at the time who was robert menzies decided we needed to build the city and he moved all the government departments which were still in melbourne to canberra and that's when it really started to grow as mm. a city at that time yeah it makes a lot of sense uh, the, the longer i live in australia that they would have put that amount of thought and planning <laughs> into where they're placing it. And it was it was it, it, it was a privileged city at first because it was a government um, project. Government owned everything, so that means with the lawn, you know, all the nature strips were always mowed. There was ne- there was never any rubbish around, and it was well laid out. And everybody had a quarter acre block mm. to live in the house and and so on. But those days are long gone, unfortunately. Yeah, it's very plain. Like you, you guys even had allocated. Is that right? You had allocated lots for different things like businesses, churches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 All, the, all the industrial areas were separate, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. What, one of my favorite parts about Canberra is that they have the American embassy. So there's that little slice of America, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the bricks from that were actually made here. It looks like it, like it was a southern mansion, but yeah. the bricks were made here in the Yarralama Brickworks. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever get yeah, too homesick, I got it. actually was at, where at, at Russell offices where our Australian Defence Forces are headquartered. The Americans put a, a eagle on a on a column in it as a gift to the and it's which is still there, the American mm. eagle, and it, it was almost like we're just keeping an eye on you, you know, <laughs> sure. what you're told. Uh, so along with, with that being your background growing up in Canberra, being a Canberrian, um, did, uh, you, you had interest in sport in that. Uh, yeah, I played uh, a lot of sport. That's yeah, what I, that's you love rugby idea. as well, right? Rugby union. Yeah, I played, like most people, we played rugby for our school on Saturday and then you played rugby league on Sunday and mm. played soccer and I played AF, uh, American, Australian football for a while, basketball and hockey and we played everything. Mm. Very big sporting. And they say that Melbourne's the sporting capital of Australia. And I think it's actually the sport watching capital of Australia. Yes, I think yeah. the actual sporting capital of Australia is really Canberra in participation rates. Mm. The kids, like every kid plays sport here pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, it doesn't sound like you were raised in church. Were you raised in any sort of church? Uh, well, my, my mother, um, she was a believer. I didn't actually know that. Mm. Um, she And when they came, when they emigrated to Canberra, she she went there from England, so she went to the um, 
Church of England here, and apparently it was too high church for her, you know. Uh -huh. So in, in the Anglicans, they have the high church, which is basically the Catholic church, really, mm -hmm. um, and um, with a different pope, if you like. And so, But um, it was too high church for they, so she didn't like it. So they actually went to the only other church, which was there, which was a Salvation Army church with my sisters. Mm -hmm. But then when... Um, that's when we lived on the on the south side before I when I was first born. But then they moved to the north side into the family home, and moved away from that church, so she didn't go to church. But during that her time, um, with, she had six children. I was the youngest, and um, she she became unwell. Apparently, I was a child, so I don't remember it. Um, and she was had to go into hospital, and at that time the um, and she had no family here at all, nobody, mm. just six kids and and a husband who was in the police force and um at that time the church of christ apparently used to do visitation in the hospital and they met her in the hospital found out this and they took all us kids in um, and looked after us and wow. became our you know the lady became our auntie pat mm. thereafter and so i think in return or in payment for that we were sent to church of christ sunday school until we got became like went to high school, we had to attend Sunday school, mm -hmm. and which we did. But like most kids at high school, stop stop going to Sunday school, um, and then and then I went for a little while in my teens. I, I went to the Uniting Church on the north side for just for a while for a couple a year or so. Um, but that was that was really all. Although I, if I look back, um, I see God was working on me all that time. Anyway, I remember I distinctly remember. In primary school, getting a Gideon's Bible, you know, they came to the school mm -hmm. and they handed out the, the, yeah. the Bibles. And I remember reading it, you know, getting that Bible and reading it for all the time for quite a while. And um, other things happened, you know, they had, had um, I was drawn towards God. Yeah. And, um, and then um, after I got married, um, we, we had a couple of children. And what, my eldest daughter, she had a, um, had night terrors. And it was it was a very difficult time for us at that time. She um, she basically would wake up screaming oh, wow. three or four times. Well, that's not, she didn't wake up. She would have screaming attacks three or four times every single night. And um, they're not actually awake. And when you go into the room, you become part of the of the the nightmare, mm -hmm. extreme nightmares. And they're running around and smashing stuff. And and it was it was awful it was very, and at the same time we were in our first home and um we um a month after we bought the home we had a second baby a second child and so debbie wasn't working and then six months later we had the recession we had to have the government said mm. and our mortgage rate went to 18 and a half percent so people who today who are paying three percent can you imagine if you had to pay 18 and a half percent? So mm. there's a huge financial pressure on us at the same time. Yeah. And um, so it was a very difficult time. And anyway, my wife, she went back to work and she was working at the Australian National um, University at the credit union there. And one of the ladies in her, at the credit union said, can my pastor come and pray for you, you know, for your daughter? And, and they did. And it was, Bishop John Downs and Sue Downs, they came, I wasn't there. They came and prayed for my daughter and she slept through the night that night and she slept through the following night and she slept through the following night. And from that, my wife started to attend Calvary Chapel. She'd never been in a church, any other church before in her life. Oh, never, wow. So she had no background in faith at all? No background. And she's, this is the only church she's ever attended. Wow. So she came here. That would have been in 1984 that she started coming here. Mm -hmm. And out of actually out of that... Um, that um, little little credit unit university, the, the woman who asked her if her pastor paid was Sue Serranos. Oh, yeah. And her workmates also came, Zami Crowley, Robin Morris, and Debbie York came out of that one little office. Wow. One little credit unit. Anyway, she started coming. She came regularly with the kids. I didn't come at all. But then, um, then with all the... Pressures and so on. we decided we we were going we were having marital problems with the financial pressures and so on. I was I was in the police force. I was a policeman at that time, and 
I came to the realization that I needed, I wanted to be married, which is a silly, seems like an odd thing to say, but that actually changed everything. Mm-hmm. When I decided that the number most important thing was to save our marriage, everything else didn't matter anymore. So I, I resigned from the, that's when I, why I left the police. The shift work and so on was just too hard on us. Mm. And we sold our house, which took us, we walked away with nothing after yeah. years of saving a deposit and so on. And we moved to Queensland, we moved to Brisbane for a while. And things didn't work out so well, unfortunately, in Brisbane, but we needed to get away. We did that. We came back and that stopped my wife going to church that all that period. She, that kind of stopped her going to church. And especially when we moved away, that was that. And then eventually we moved back to Canberra and then... She kind of had a desire to go back to church, but it, it took really the visit of Sister Cole, Sister Helen Cole was, was coming and she loved Sister Cole. Mm. And so that brought her back to church and she started coming back to church again. And um, I still hadn't been to church, but then can you, can, I was do you, reading. Do you know why you're like so resistant? Uh, the, the only reason I'm asking that is because you were the one that actually had a, a background in faith. Like you're the one that went to Sunday school. Yeah, I think you had read the Bible. I, it, I think the reality was I knew that I couldn't be like, um, I had to make a choice. Mm. I couldn't do half the world and half the church. Right. I had to. And if I was going to start going to church, then I had to, that meant a lot of other things as well, you know. Mm. So like because of that background in that belief, like understanding the scriptures and, and what's taught, you you knew that there was a bit more involved with, with taking yes, that step. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. It wasn't just a um, you know, getting getting some help and making you feel better. There was a whole yeah. lot more to it than that. But anyway, I they didn't know my kids used to go to the old one pray for me apparently, but they didn't know that you know, God I'd go they'd invite me to Sunday school presentations. I'd come to that. Mm-hmm. And I'd just sit there and watch, and they didn't realize what was happening inside me at the time, even though I looked like I wasn't interested. And um, but anyway, then they had a um, visiting the very first Australian evangelist. Well, he wasn't Australian, brother James Deal George came, and they invited me to um, to a men's breakfast, which I went to. And when he ministered that, it really spoke to me. And then the next day I said to Debbie, I'm coming to church with you, which gave her, shocked her. Like she was shocked. Do you want to say anything just in case? You know, <laughs> I came to church. So I, that, so I came to church and then I went to the altar. I got the Holy Spirit when I went to the altar. So I got baptized. And so that was nine years after my wife started coming to church uh-huh. that I actually came. And then, and like I knew as soon as that, I, I was converted, if you like, I was born again. So that, that's where it was. I've been walked in, in God's way ever since because mm. once I'd, I knew, once I'd made a decision, then I'd, I had to follow what was right. Yeah, that. once you'd made up your mind, it was like, you know, the path, the course was set. Yeah, and that's what took so long really was the uh, coming to the point where that was the moment that I had yeah. to do it. Often people like experience that whilst attending like they start attending for a little bit and they're still like kind of uh i don't know if i want to fully commit to this yeah, and then they yeah. do that it seems like a lot of that for you was taking place prior to actually yes. walking through the, the doors yeah that's right a lot of that was happening like when if i ever came to a sunday school presentation or something so it was only i only would have come once a year or something mm-hmm. like yeah yeah and, and i could see why uh sister downs is, has always been so big about those sunday school presentations and the children's choir and all of that it's yeah. just uh, another excuse to to get parents in the building um, yes that's true it is yeah i, I was gonna ask you i like to ask uh everyone who comes on the podcast when, when did you feel the call to ministry you're heavily involved in ministry the assistant pastor at calvary chapel you're on the the you're the exec on the executive board of australia but when did you first feel that call that's very hard to pinpoint, really. It was more like a a, um, a progressive thing, and and as I just determined that um, I, I'd do what I could. Mm. If I was asked to do something, I'd do it, even if yeah. I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd do what I could to learn. For example, I was made the church treasurer. I had never done any finances or anything, treasuring or anything like that. Oh, so wow. I then taught myself how to use the accounting system and, and taught myself about bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff. And it was the same in ministry. It just 
started getting, you know, things I'd like to say to people. Mm-hmm. Not, not a full sermon or anything like that, just, you know, some thoughts that I could share with someone and stuff like that. And God kind of leads you, you know, you, you, what, what you're going to be doesn't appear at the beginning. Yeah. But if you just accept the opportunities that he gives you, then mm. he leads you to where he, a place he has for you, I think. Yeah. Is that the advice? Me. Is that the advice that you would give someone who's feeling the call to ministry or what further advice yeah, would you give? You, I think you need to take the opportunities God gives you because he has a reason for them. You know, mm. he has to, he prepares you for what's ahead. And, and, and it's a big step to go into pastoral, uh, you know, pulpit ministry or, um, and we really need um, training and, and experience before that. And, and, but it's not the way we think it'll happen. You know, God uses yeah. other ways to, to, to give us what we need in training. I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not always a, uh, it, it's like, uh, it's almost like the, the path of the Israelites to the promised exactly. land. Exactly. It's not a linear progression. <laughs> exactly. Shape form at all. Yeah. And if you try and make it that way, uh, it tends to not work out so well for you. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing, of course, I always say, if, if you want something done, give it to someone who's already doing something. Mm. Because if they're if they're doing nothing, you give them a the job; they won't do it. Won't get done. Won't get finished. But if they if they're already about doing stuff, they're the person, the right person for another job. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that's something that I've been talking about recently. When it comes to um, you know walking in the call of God and doing doing something for the kingdom of God, God tends to talk to the people that say yes, or the people that's that are, are willing to walk through the doors. He opens more doors so yeah. yeah it's almost like a yeah. snowball effect but i used to get nearly all my um sermon all my messages when i was mowing the lawn because mm. it's a big well it's not such a big block now because we're covered in building but in those days we had a little church building and, and a lot of lawn and it used to take me six hours to mow it oh wow and so or if the ride-on worked well the ride-on didn't often work <laughs> um, it would take about half that but that that's when god used to talk to me and mm. you know give me speak to me yeah. yeah there's definitely an illustration in that it's in the doing it's in the working that god speaks hey, it's good so you're the uh you're the secretary treasurer of the upca and um yeah. I, I, it was interesting for you to mention that you didn't have a background in finance because because you're so heady about it you, you know you're so knowledgeable i just assumed that you had had that um that no, i remember brother glass asked me when and he was uh, when i uh, he he asked me and when did you be, do an accountancy degree or something? <laughs> I'm not an accountant. I don't know. But it, but you got to know. It's like it's like in the in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an accountant. And when and when we I deal with the real accountants, I know how much I don't know. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So you you've you've been very influential in the development of the systems of the national church, uh, even prior to being on the executive board. You're involved with that and and uh, i mentioned already you're the assistant pastor of calvary chapel in canberra how have you been able to strike a balance between life and ministry i like to ask this question to people who find themselves yeah. busy about the things of god um when I, I i think earlier on i didn't do so well hmm. to be honest i um i i thought i was um um, giving proper attention to my family and so on. But um, I remember, I remember one of my, my daughter said to me, um, "You treat uh, other people better than you tr- than you do with us. You're more patient with them mm-hmm. than you are with us." And um, I, that really um, cut me. And I thought she's right. That's, yeah, that's true. And um, I do regret. That I that I I don't I didn't neglect them, but they weren't the number one. They should have been a more of a priority, I think. And I was thinking about this. Jesus said that you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And to, that to me, the, the heart is that means you, your emotional well-being, and your soul obviously is your spiritual well-being. Your mind is your mental well-being, and your your strength is your physical well-being, and so we need to make sure that we address all those issues. That we're spiritually healthy is important, but we also need to be mentally healthy and emotionally healthy. 
And so I try and um, and have rest. You need time to rest and, and recuperate. You, you, you just can't keep going forever. So I try and incorporate breaks. Um, I try and invest in my marriage by taking my wife away mm -hmm. when we can, things like that. Um, and I just try and realise that some things are not um, urgent. Yeah. I don't, some things I don't have to do at the time. So I like to, in, when, I'm, when, we're, when it's um, just like office work, I try and keep office hours, mm -hmm. um, which is not always possible. It's not obviously when there's meetings and things we can't. But, and the other thing is, of course, a lot of our ministry uh, volunteers, so they've got circular jobs, so they can't deal with you except at night and so on. Mm -hmm. But I have I've have, have had to learn that I don't have to address everything immediately. I can put things off to the next day and things like that. And I try and be more aware of my family life and my um, mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. yeah, I think that's tremendous advice. And uh, I remember uh, it was a number of years ago now, but I think someone had made a comment or I heard it somewhere. I, I can't exactly remember, but they they're talking about... Um, talking to your spouse or your family the way that you would, you know, talk to someone at, at church or, or, you know, a, a casual acquaintance. Like you talk, you, you treat them nicer than you treat your own family at times. Yeah. Um, you know, and as you said, sometimes they're more patient with, with people you don't really know than with people you do know. And, yeah. and being aware of that, I think is, is so important. You know, think about that the next time you, you have, uh, you might get an argument or whatever. Just think about, hey, what did I bring to the table? Am I not being, you know, um, yeah. aware of their needs or, or whatnot? Am I just talking it's, to them because because I'm familiar with them? You know, I I I have had some. Um, oh, who's, they might watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I have had some some ladies talking about single women, unmarried women. Mm -hmm. I have heard them talking about. Um, their future husband, their, their requirements list mm -hmm. for their future husbands, you know. He's going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to do this. And I remember thinking, you're not saying much about what you, your demands on yourself are going to be and what you're going to bring to this relationship. And I think mm -hmm. that's I think that's your going to be, that's why you're single, I think. But, <laughs> but it's, a, it's the same, I think, with our relationship uh, with God. Um, we often have expectations of him when really our expectation and our focus should be upon our our attitude and, and our what we do, what can we bring? And mm. I think it's the same for the family. It's the same for all relationships, the church. It's not what are they going to have to do, it's how am I going to respond to what they do and, and how am I... what. Regardless of what they do, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. you know, how am I going to behave, and how what's my attitude going to be like? And so I try and try and focus more upon myself than the, than the others, if I can. But it's not always. Yeah, I'm I not, mean, I don't always succeed, but I try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect, uh, but you know, you, you change what you can. It's a lot easier for you to change yourself uh, if well, you're you changing. Change anybody else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> do you have any further tips on time management? Because uh, you're quite impressive as far as uh, how, how quickly you respond to emails and how you're on top of things, that sort of thing. So. Well, that's one thing I found. I think some, some pastors do, do make some mistakes when it comes to, to like, I suppose what you call admin work. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, first of all, I think they don't understand the importance of it to the health of the church. Mm. But they also, we all know, that if you, the, the longer you put something off, the bigger job it becomes. And the, the quicker you can deal with it, it's finished then, you know? And, yeah. and it just, and then if you let it, if you let it ride and, and it just becomes more harder and harder and harder and harder to fix, and it becomes more of a, more of a, uh, a pressure upon you or worry to you and all that kind of stuff. So I do try and, um, and um, keep things, if I can deal with them, deal with it. If you can do it now, let's do it now and get it. And then it's done, you know, mm. if I can. And even when it comes to like paying, we, we, when we did our extension here, we built our education centre here in the church in 2017. 
and the builders loved us because they'd give us a monthly progress invoice and we'd pa- I'd pay them immediately. Mm. And um, and they love they're not used to that, you know, they're yeah. used to going to last minute. But the scripture tells you if you've got the money, someone you owe money and you have it, give it to them. Don't make them wait for it. And I told them that. That's why I, and I think that's the same with with time management. If you can do it now, do it now and it's done mm. and it's much less much less work. Have you heard of that? There's a book. It, I don't know how popular it is. It might be a bit obscure, but it was the title of it is "Eat That Frog," or, or something along no, those lines. It, basically, the the premise of the book is that you accomplish the hard tasks first, and yeah. like the the one you're wanting to put off. <laughs> and I found that yeah. to be so true, especially at admin work. Like if yeah. there's something that has been weighing on you and you keep avoiding it, the the day you actually get in first thing in the morning, you address that. Or, you know, if you're, if you're bivocational, whenever you get that time to work, you address that straight away. It's like a weight yeah. lifted off your shoulders. You I know? agree. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That, that I agree with that. Some don't always do it, but that's what <laughs> I, my, I think is, is right. Yeah. 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 I'm good at giving advice. I don't always follow <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what I sometimes some think that that's my spiritual calling is to give advice. <laughs> Uh, you've touched on it a little bit with um, what you, what you think some churches get wrong when it comes to administration. Is there anything else there, or um, and then tied to that, what are some things that we should focus on as a church when it comes to administration? Yeah, uh, when you look at the successful churches, they have good ed- good admin, and um, I'm I. For a church to grow, I think a whole lot of things have to work together. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of areas have to have to be good, and a whole lot of um, it, it's it's never really one person. Although they, there would be a, you know it does one person can make a significant difference, but it's a whole lot of people um, doing their part and, mm-hmm. and being the body, you know, and. With admin, I think if you if you neglect that, um, it shows in the to the to the visitor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I, I understand. Um, if so, if if a visitor comes to to the church, I want them to have the best experience possible, and I want them to look upon us as people that they can trust, mm-hmm. and. Um, we know that the the way people just one example the way people decide whether to trust people is is how they what they do with money, mm-hmm. and so if you um, show yourself to be faithful with money, then the people are more likely to trust you with things that are really important. Mm-hmm. You know that scripture. That's scriptural. You know who's going to give you trust you the true riches if you can't be um, faithful with the unrighteous mammon. Mm. And so if you have, um, if you don't care for your admin, I think it's, it's showing the people that you, you, you don't, um, that you leave some things, let things go. You don't, if you know what I mean, you don't, you don't cover the important stuff, you know, and if, if we can get that um, support, if the admin is really is a facilitator, if things run smoothly and well, it means that all the ministry can build on that and it can support it without there being a fail a fall you know if the mm. if you haven't got the admin in place the ministry can then is restricted to what what the admin can support i think right the better admin we have generally it's all part of of being a a well-run church that people see that they um, um and see that they can trust and also it leaves the, the ministry the, the, of music and preaching and Bible studies. They can then, um, it, they don't have to make up the, the gap that's been right. shortfall of the admin and that leaves them free to, to minister. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, um, to me, I think you have to have integrity. Obviously, you have to be, if, 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 some, if, someone, if people find out that you are lacking in integrity, you, that's, it's going to, you'll never get their trust again. Yeah. You, you, you but before you, trust. before you move off of, off that, I, I do want to touch on it because I, I think that what you're, what you're mentioning there is so good. 
um, especially right now in today's environment, trust in institutions, trust in government. Yeah. I know trust in government is not so low here in Australia, but around the world, there, there's a lack of trust in government. Yeah, so it's not as bad as some places, but yeah. even so, it's, it's increasing here, no doubt about it. And trust in institutions has, is at an all-time low. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the issues that we have um, with young people in our society is that the things that brought them meaning and that they could rely upon, they're now not sure of. And, mm. and they leave them a bit lost and, and, yeah. and you know, wondering where they are, what to do. So. Yeah, and, and they're not, not trusting media, they're not trusting. And so if we're able to be that sort of haven, that, that area where they can commit their trust, they do find a place, hey, this is somewhere that I can put my trust in. This is uh, yeah. a system, this is a church, this is a group of believers that, that they one, mean what they say little, and they yeah. do it. One little thing we did, which is only minor, we started... Um, putting the amount of last week's offering in the bulletin. Mm. And people, and and you'd be amazed how many people come and go, I've never, at churches, I've never done that. But we mm. say, we, we want to we wanna be transparent. We want you, we, we want to show you. And that's why we're also big advocates of anyone. If you, if you think the, um, this church is your spiritual home, you come to our annual general meeting. You don't have to be a member you know, a legal member or any of that kind of stuff, come because we want you to see that we um, are open, transparent and accountable. Yeah, and that's if you, good. If, we can tr- if you can trust, if we, you can trust us with your with your money and with the, with the physical things, that will make you more likely to trust us with your soul, which is the, the most valuable thing. That's that the most valuable thing, yeah. That, that uh, offering figure that you guys uh, put out, is that inclusive of online? So is that like, that's yeah. everything that comes in the week? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm just thinking about that because we might start doing something similar here, here at the PIs is yeah. a great idea. Uh, was there anything else that, that we should focus on in that area or um, that you haven't been well, able to touch I, on? I know I talked about um, successful churches having good admin. I, I've seen some churches that don't grow and I think, I feel that they're like kind of almost secretive about mm-hmm. things. They don't, um, keep their people informed. They don't want them to know how much money comes in and goes out. They don't know, want them to know what happens in the, you know, in that kind of side of things. And I think they're actually doing themselves a disservice. And I think that's the reason why, one, sorry, not the reason, that can be a reason why a church um, doesn't seem to grow because there's the, the people are not, don't trust it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, true. Well, uh, I wanted to ask you this question. Um, I, I think it, it's good because because you leave it, you lead at a number of different levels. You know, you, you lead at your local church, uh, you lead in the national church, um, and then uh, you lead across administrative administrative type roles, but also teaching ministry, ministry preaching, ministry. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you would share with a church leader? Could be any type of church leader, but what is uh, some advice that you would give them? Um, use what you've got, mm. I think. Um, and I think that applies on a, on a personal level. What has God gifted you with? And he's given you that for a purpose and you need to find a way to use that gifting, whether it, it doesn't necessarily mean a, a ministry gifting, well, I mean, what we normally consider a ministry gifting, like like preaching or teaching or music, but whatever gifting you have, let's use it for the kingdom. But mm. I also think that applies to um, leaders uh, in as well, because um, I think if God gives us something, we should use it. And it's easy for us to look out and think we need we need more we need more people we need more talented people. We need more resources. We need more money. We need more. Well, let's look at what we've got. What have you got in your hand? Let's use that. And and um, I'm think I think of that. Um, you know, when David, when he when he was chased out of the the palace by 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 King Saul, and he went and, and ended up in a cave after after going to Gath, he ended up in a cave, and the, and he prayed for God to send him people to worship, to, that they could worship together. He, mm-hmm. he, he didn't want to, 
he didn't pray for revenge on on his enemies. He prayed for people mm. to come and join him in worship. And um, he wrote that psalm, you know, let us exalt the Lord together. And, and so the scripture says that God sent them everyone who was discontented, <laughs> who was in debt, you know, and oh, I can't remember what the third one is, discontent, in debt. Anyway, all the ones that had had trouble everywhere else, ones that weren't happy where they were, mm. everybody that had nothing to offer because they were in debt, all that, that's all the people God sent him. And if it was me, I'd think, God, can you send some people that, <laughs> you know, that can help me in this, yeah. in this, build, this build this up instead of, can you send some people to this church that can play the guitar or that are, that can tithe a lot or can, <laughs> you know, preach? Not Don't send me the people that have problems because mm. that's all they've got. And yet not long after that, God, listen, they're called David's mighty men. Yeah. And so because he used what God had given him, those people grew and developed and became mighty in, in God's kingdom. And, and his kingdom. And I think as a as leaders, um, we need to use what God's given us in our hand and let's see what they can become. Let's have a hand in seeing people grow in, into their into their calling. Yeah, that, that's so good because it, it can apply to you personally, you know, what God has given yeah. you, the talents, abilities he's given you, but also the manpower or the people around you that, that he's gifted you with. Yeah. You know, when we're talking about the talents, you know, gives God gives some five, some give... God give one two and God give one according to their several ability. Mm-hmm. And um, you can look upon that, you know, as as a personal gifting or a personal talent that God's given you. But it, I think it can also look upon that as, as, the, as the being the pastors and they're given people. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to put those people to work in the marketplace to make more people. Mm. And so not bury them in the, in the, and, and hide them and just, just keep them safe until the till the master returns. But no, let's put them to work and let them let's use them. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what excites you about the Australian Church in twenty twenty three? I think it's a really exciting time for us. Um, so I've been I've been in the U, UPCA since ninety three. That's when I got baptized in September ninety three, and um, so thirty years this year. And really, I feel like we're just it's, we're just seeing the fruit mm. of all our all our labour, and, and and I really um, I, I'm, I have a lot of respect for those who went before and they built us up to this place, but this point now. But now we're seeing new churches opening, like not just one every so often here and there, but multiple churches, and we're seeing um, all these talented young people coming up now. My goodness, wish I was as smart and as talented as them when I was mm. as their age. And they're finding an opportunity, you know. Now they're not, they're not being warehoused. They're being used, yeah. Um, and 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 the um, and the demographics of the church. We're getting such an influx of multicultural thing, and we're reflecting our society. Um, and we're having a lot more um, engagement with our society, with our culture now. I think, and um, not not compromising. And I see us, but I see us. Um, I see the church modernizing is a bad word (laughs) being the church for this time right and and it's it's just it's after some of the you know everyone goes through good and bad times and they and they walk and just but just at the you just feel like we're really making progress at the moment it's a very exciting time for us I think yeah I get that feeling as well and and of course off the back of the conference in January, it just really, I don't know, it just really felt like a lift. You know, we'd, yeah. we'd gotten through that time and 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 we hadn't seen a reduction. We, we'd actually seen growth during that time, even though it was yeah. very difficult. But um, you had to be lifted and, and yeah, it yeah. is exciting think, to I see the I think it's taught a lot of our churches, certainly taught us, that, the, the, that we, had to, we had to maintain contact and ministry, we still had to minister to people when we couldn't, we didn't have, couldn't have face-to-face time and we didn't have church services and we, we still had to find a way. But it, but more than just being, having a stream service, it was actually maintaining one-on-one personal contact mm-hmm. with people. That made the difference. Yeah. And 
it was almost forced us to do that. And that's, that's why we're seeing, I think, such a, a, a growth in, in those churches that were able to maintain that, that personal contact through that time. And it's kind of changed our, the way we deal with people, I think. Yeah. yeah. I like to ask this question to everyone who comes on the podcast. Uh, what is it that drives you when it comes to ministry? What is it that is that driving force for you? I just want to do what God wants me to do, you know. I just want to please him. It's, it's all. And um, really, if you, I think it's important for us to really um, have God's kingdom as our goal because it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to, like, you go out the, you step down from the pulpit and think, well, that's, well, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I'm not getting up there anymore. But then, you know. You get over it, suck your thumb for a while, and you, and you recover, and you get back up there because it, because that's what God wants me to do, you know. Mm. And um, if you didn't have if it didn't have that confidence in His hand and His calling, then I would have stopped. Mm. I mean, it's, it's much easier to work in the background and and do the work and let other people do it. Mm. Um, but um, if we can put put the kingdom first you know um and that helps me then to um to to look at the big picture to you know when you're dealing with people and when you're getting our irritations and our things that happen when you have groups of people together then you can look at the big picture and look what what's most important is mm. to for to maintain our our um our our spiritual life and and our, our also, to love our neighbour as yourself, to to um, to give to to shed forth the love of God by the Holy Ghost in our hearts, you know, and um, that kind of stops you um, um, getting beaten down too much. I think. Yeah, it stops you from getting stuck in the mundane or things that don't really matter. Sometimes you can be drugged down in that in ministry, and you uh, kind absolutely. of lose sight of you know why you're doing it. You know, there's the the the, the always story about the, the the grumpy admin guy, and that, <laughs> you know, because people always won't do what they. What you're, they're so obvious for you to do, and you told them to do it, they don't do it, and it's easy to do, and you just then you think, no, well, you know, that's um, they're volunteers too for a yeah. start. <laughs> but, but it's not just that, but you know, we've got to remember that um, we're supposed to um, to love our neighbours yourself, and if I. If I've made a mistake, I'd hope I'd get grace. And so, therefore, it's incumbent upon me to show that grace as well. Yeah. Yeah. And patience, well, yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Again, thank you so much for your time today, for setting aside coming on the podcast. Uh, I really do uh, admire you and in, in the work that you do. And, and as someone who does work in administration, um, you know, it's you, you have been someone that, that I've looked at. I remember when uh, Pastor first hired me on as full time admins. At first, I was a, uh, I was just, uh, doing a bit of internship and then he hired me on as full-time admin and he had just been elected pastor maybe like six months before that and I remember the the onboarding conversation was you know Bishop Bishop Downs he has uh, brother Kent I want you to be <laughs> like my brother Kent and I said okay well I'll do my best and um, you know you, you've been something that I've looked up to and and uh, it's been a privilege to work alongside you this last couple of years but uh, I wanted you to be able to share your story here today and, and help, uh, you know, guide us in areas that, that we might have some weakness. So thank you again for your time. Uh, I'd like to finish off these conversations by giving the guests an opportunity to share a closing word with the, the listeners, whatever you feel God's laid on your heart, bro. Thanks again. Okay. I, in my daily devotion, I, I read a, a one-year Bible, um, and I usually read a different um a different um, translation each year, and just recently, I've been going in my in the in my one year Bible. You get a reading in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs. And in the Old Testament, we've been been in Exodus. You know the story of the Exodus. And I'm, I was thinking about that, and I, and, and I thought, you know, before God works through us. He has to work in us before, before he can use us. And 
What I mean by that example is like Moses. He he obviously knew that God had called him to to deliver Israel out of Egypt, and so he went about it all wrong, and he killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand, and from that he was forced to go out into the run off into the wilderness, and um, there he had to tend sheep for forty years in the desert. And I thought, you know, that's forty years in the desert tending sheep in the in in the wilderness. You know that. That was God working in him and preparing him to lead these other sheep also in the wilderness. You know, the people that he had, all the, the because God had to change something in him to prepare him to, um, to be, to actually lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And then... It was really the same kind of thing for the people themselves. It wasn't just Moses. The people themselves also had to to have something happen in them before God could work through them. And it said in, uh, I was reading the New, the New King James Version um, at the moment, uh, this year in my one-year Bible, and in Exodus 13, 17, it says this, Then it came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, so this is they've finally gone through the ten plagues and the death of the firstborn and the Passover and so on, and Pharaoh decides to let the people go. When it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So when Pharaoh finally let God's people go, God said, they won't be able to face the Philistines. They won't be able to face the battle ahead. And so he said he led them in a roundabout way, I think it says in another translation, a roundabout way. Um by the Red Sea, and they had to go and have their heart prepared for what God wanted them to do. So by the time, it took a long time, took like the same as it did for Moses, it took 40 years really. And um, I know it's so the people of that generation who, who, who refused to go in, they, they passed away. But the people that were there, they had no training in battle, but by the time they got to face Jericho and, and the Philistines and so on, they were no longer um, people that would have turned back because they were afraid because God had done something in them. And so that's just what I've been thinking lately. You know, we need to let God do something in us if we want God to do something through us. And we often pray for God to do things and that's right and good. But I think we need to also pray Particularly, please do something in me, God. Make me ready. Prepare me and use me. Change my heart so, I, so you can use me for what you've called me to do.